Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective. What is the legislature doing to us in Olympia this Tuesday episode? And today we have Mary Dye, representative from the 9th District, on with us today. She has been busy working on behalf of her constituents, mostly farmers in that area. And so we're just going to bring her right into the conversation after some inspiration. Giving God my work. The magazine I was writing for felt important, so I struggled to present the best possible article I could for the high-ranking editor. Feeling pressure to meet her standards, I kept rewriting my thoughts and ideas. But what was my problem? Why was my topic so challenging? Or was my real worry more personal? Would the editor approve of me and not just my words? For answers to our job worries, Paul gives trustworthy instruction. In a letter to the Colossian church, Paul urged believers to work not for approval of people, but for God. As the apostle said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Reflecting on Paul's wisdom, we can stop struggling to look good in the eyes of our earthly bosses. For certain, we honor them as people and seek to give them our best. But if we work as for the Lord, asking him to lead us and anoint our work for him, he'll shine a light on our efforts. Our reward? Our job pressures ease and our assignments are completed. Even more, we'll one day hear him say, well done. Heavenly Father, as we face job pressures, it's easy to forget that we are working for you. Redirect our hearts and our minds so that we put you first in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, job pressures is definitely an important topic, and we're going to be talking about that today with Mary Dye because the pressure on our jobs is not from our maker or from God. It's definitely not just from our employers or our customers. It is the government and a lot of what the government is trying to inherit from our labor. Welcome, Mary Dye, to the conversation. What's going on in Olympia that most of us out here in the taxpayer land regulatory scheme that we don't see? Well, thanks for having me on to talk about it. There's a lot going on in the Energy Committee that I can share with you. Of course, for the ag community writ large, we're all very concerned about the uh, new carbon trading scheme that has been put forward. It was scheduled to start. It The law came active on January 1st, and its first auction is coming off tomorrow. Tomorrow or the next day, I think it's like the very end of uh, February that we're doing the first auction. Now, in anticipation of that, of course, the distributors anticipated that they would be on the hook for the um, the amount that the trading scheme will cause. And so they had put a preemptive amount onto the fuels that they were distributing starting January 1st. And that is what is causing us problems because there were a number of industries that have been exempt. Uh, one being aviation fuels, another maritime fuels, and also our ag fuels. But the way the oil is refined and then put out through the distribution channels, there was nothing in the rules that ecology put forward. And there is no way in the economy that you can decide who and what and where that fuel is going to. And so they put a 
an amount onto the fuel in anticipation that they will be required to pay a check to the state government for their carbon allowances on the fuels that they are selling. That's a lot of information. I want to back up just a little bit so the listeners can really grab a hold of this because you are a ranking member from the 9th Legislative District. You're a ranking member in the legislature on the Energy and Ag Commission, right? It's energy. Uh, it's the Environment and Energy Committee. Environment and Energy Committee. Okay. In this process, what they did was they created a, a carbon tax. Certain industries like the airline industries, all maritime. Amer- so we're talking maritime about that would be ag. maritime would be not just the U.S. military, but also fishermen, any boating, right? Any boating. And of course, we have a huge, we're an export channel, export terminal to the world. And so we have very large ports, Port of Seattle, Tacoma, very large port for all the shipping industry. Most of those ships are still operating on diesel. And so that's an important point in this schema. It actually doesn't put a tax to be clear. It creates a market, a market where the government allow gives allowances to industries that deal in petroleum. Well, that seems like that's and that's the biggest. They, are, they have to buy. They have to bid for the price of those allowances. So it's a, it's an economy wide price on what we would call an environmental externality. So it's a price on what your share of the CO two emissions would be because of the product that you either refine and sell or distribute or use. And so it catches you at all three of those spaces in the economy. So well, and that's the an thing that really conf- thing. confused a lot of us uh, voters, taxpayers, consumers, is that here's this tax. And it, to us, it's a tax, but it's really not a tax. Like you said, they are actually creating an industry under government. And it's really not an industry that produces anything. It's an industry that taxes everything or, or creates a fee structure. And these, these carbon credits, you were talking earlier on in the conversation, how they're going to be having the, these, did you say auctions? Auction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so auctions. And so this is where companies that think that their carbon footprint is going to be greater than what they can allot for as far as their reduction of their carbon footprint. So they can buy these carbon credits and then sell them on the open market later if they produce more carbon. Reduction. If they reduce their their carbon, then they get credit for that. And so the whole thing is that those allowances will get funny word for them, but their carbon credits, they get more and more expensive and more and more people have so, to buy them. It seems to me more to like it's manufacturing. Not, it's not really an allowance or a tax. It's more of a, a bribe to the Department of Ecology to continue to operate your, your industry because you have to pay this no matter what. And consumers are not going to see this on the receipts when they see an increase in the cost of not just fuel at the pump, but of every single item we consume, everything that's shipped by truck, everything that's bought by by rail, any product that's produced and brought to market is going to see an increased price. And so this was supposed to be going after the big oil companies, right? It's supposed to be changing the way we do our energy economy. In, In reality, it's, it assumes that you as a voter, are deeply concerned about the impacts of climate change and that you are 
willing to pay up for being able to get our emissions reduced to zero or net zero. Net zero is a word that really accounts for the fact that some industries by 2050 will still have to pay for allowances in order to continue to do business in Washington. And, and, and that's, in Washington. that's one of the and things it, I think is a damaging thing is that why would you come to Washington to do business knowing that the government is going to penalize you for employing people in the state? Right. And for producing important things. For example, you know, we have a very large aerospace industry. We have a tremendous agricultural industry. We have food processing. We have logging, pulp and paper. We have all these energy intensive companies that do business here that are part of our legacy they're kind of, you know, there are iconic industries, you know. Like, well, and, and we're already and, the, one of the cleanest states in the country because we have clean hydropower. And so we're able to produce energy at a fairly low cost with no carbon footprint. We're using the water cycle. It goes out to the ocean. It rains, comes back, and we use this hydroelectricity. And then, of course, we also have replaced our coal fire plants with natural gas, which is obviously a lot cleaner. And so this it seems like this revenue scheme by the state doesn't have as much to do with the environment because they'll clean up the environment to some extent because industry will leave, but then it'll increase poverty, which poverty is never good for the environment either. And so, it never is. so they're not and really doing the, it for the environment. It's about tax the revenue. Amount of revenue. The amount of revenue that will be coming in, it goes into buckets in the plan. And so one of the big buckets is for reducing emissions in transportation. Another is for reducing emissions in buildings. And this year, the bills that we are dealing with are truly making it so that we decommission natural gas service to our homes and also changing out the HVAC systems in our schools and our other public buildings, as well as our commercial buildings. So you look at the amount of cost that that is going to be. It's enormous. I mean, our little school districts in eastern Washington have a hard time passing a levy. A lot of our our furnaces are past their serviceable lives. They're they're definitely, it's definitely a situation where I, the unintended consequence of this policy is literally running up the price to every single school district, every single university, all of our government buildings. And I don't think they expected that the government would then have to pay for this huge transition to non-natural gas, to heat pumps that aren't very effective in keeping you warm in eastern Washington. Right. Well, and, and there's certain technologies that are great. If you've got a solar panel on your RV to help charge up your batteries, that's great. But this right. kind of transition of all of these things, 20 years ago, I was told, well, you need to change from that electric hot water heater to natural gas. It's a lot better for the environment. It's cleaner, much more efficient, and it'll last longer. And that's one of the problems. I, I don't think the people passing this stuff, I think they're passing it based on ideology, not reality, because... When you look at natural gas furnaces, the life of those natural gas furnaces, as you said, many of them are past their supposed service date, but they last a lot longer than electric units. Electric units have much more complex electronic systems that go out and then they're not 
serviceable anymore because the technology is too old after just a few years. So they're taking well, away reliability, of course, because what if you have a power and outage? And redundancy, right? That protects people from the harms of not having a, a, a secondary fuel source, a way to keep you warm in in a very cold, you know, moment. You use your natural gas, you know, it takes away those choices from individuals. And I guess my thing is when I was discussing it with the schools that are very concerned about the cost burden to their local taxpayers in order to make this transition to heat pumps from their boilers and those other systems that keep their schools warm. I'm wondering, you know, I asked them specifically, you know, well, what do we do? What do we do? And it's like, well, where were you when we were debating this bill, these bills for the last two biennia where we put in Clean Energy Transformation Act, where we put the Climate Commitment Act? Everybody was just buying the story that was put out there that we have to do this. It's urgent. We must change everything in our state immediately to survive as a world when we're in a clean state. And it's not going to make generally a large impact other than it's going to force energy to be more expensive. For well, it'll force, it'll force energy and, to be more expensive, but it's also going to, as the state requires more and more tax revenue to make these transitions, like the local school district, that means your house payment has to go up because you're going to have to pay more because it's not just the heating system. It's also the, the commercial kitchens that are run across this state, whether it's in government buildings or in private sector buildings. And, and unfortunately, you're going to actually have the electricity being made for this transition to all electric in that natural gas plants, electric plants, natural gas fired electric plants at at a much larger carbon footprint than just using it at the source to cook the food for the children at the school or to heat the school. And so it's a really bad policy. There was not a lot of real deliberation on it as far as I could tell from people with realistic views of it. Realistically, I think it, it the burden is back at our school system at the earliest grade to start teaching a more balanced view of life sciences and let the, the children grow up knowing a more thoughtful approach to the way we deal with these instead of just being vulnerable to this crisis modality. And when I, I told them, look, you know, when I have a senior in high school come and testify my before my committee and tell me that she'd attempted suicide during the holiday break because she didn't think we were doing enough on the climate crisis. That says to me that they're not teaching a balanced view of life sciences. Well, we're not teaching responsibility and how to use use the things that God gave us. One of the resources we got to use wisely is time. We got to take a few seconds break here. We'll be right back. We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective radio show and podcast programming. We sincerely thank Mike Fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners and guests of the Right Spokane Perspective, and we wish you well in your sabbatical and anticipate hearing from you again in the future. Listeners, it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts, commentary, and alerts on what's happening in local government, politics, and issues affecting us all. Please send your most generous support to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620, Spokane, WA 99207. Thanks again, and back to the show. And we are back with what is the legislature doing to us in Olympia this Tuesday with Mary Dye, 9th District State Representative. Mary, we jumped off into the break there. I know that we've 
transition from energy to education on what we're teaching children. And, and like you stated before we break there, it is pretty awful that we are fear-mongering science into our children instead of teaching them practical science and wise use of resources. So what else did you have to say on that? Because I know there's a, a couple more bills that you'd like to cover today before the show's over. Well, basically, I just would say that those are the young people that are going to be in leadership in, in a very short amount of time. And do they really understand that there's good news about the natural resources industries and that we use very small energy footprints? It's very dense, but that what the benefits are in terms of if we really energize ourselves into doing better active forest management, investing in mill infrastructure to get our forests healthy on a landscape scale, that could make a tremendous benefit to carbon sequestration and also for the quality of life of people that have been deprived of those resources economically for over a generation. So to me, I think that we need to rethink the story because the story is good news as we have longer seasons, more water during the summer through rainfall, that if we manage those those things correctly, we, we will have higher yields, we'll have more plant material that will sequester carbon, healthier, more soil organic matter if we do the right things. But you have to educate the kids in the life sciences in a more thoughtful way so that we don't gin up a fear narrative that causes a mass hysteria over something that really, if we're thoughtful about the resources that we have, we can do better. Well, we're not and, doing and better right now. From my view, we're doing great. We're, we're greener than we've ever been. We have less pollutants. Uh, industry, whether it's agriculture, you name it, is more environmentally friendly than almost anywhere on the planet. We produce one of the most diverse crops. Our state, I think we're like the second or third most diversity in crops that we send. And we feed people all over the world with the least carbon footprint compared to other countries. And we make great land use decisions. But the state seems to be more and more in the way of the efficiencies and the effectiveness that those industries have made over the last two decades. Absolutely. And in terms of land use, that's my biggest concern. We had Nature Conservancy come testify in our committee this year, and they stated that in order to comply with the um, Clean Energy Transformation Act that passed two years, three years ago, that that bill will require over 600 to 700,000 acres of eastern Washington to be converted to wind and solar in order to comply with the mandates in that act. That is a tremendous environmental, economic, and cultural change in our way of life in eastern Washington. We have beautiful wildlands. We have spectacular um, agricultural vistas. And to think that we're going to do this land pollution energy sprawl that is going to completely fundamentally change our whole nature of our region for a very poor source of power it's it's not energy concentrated it's not a it's not efficient well it's an energy source and with a large carbon footprint i just shared on my facebook a, a photo of a helicopter using resources to to spray de-icer on the wind turbines because they weren't oh. producing power because the ice that had collected on them and and my research of wind produced energy is that it has a higher carbon footprint than if we just used efficient diesel generators because 
to capture that much wind, you've got to bury a large chunk of concrete. And in a lot of places we're putting that it's rock once you get that deep. And so you're using heavy equipment to set it up. These, these blades that are not made here have to be shipped with diesel trucks and on trains and all the stuff has to come from all over the world. By the time that you look at the carbon footprint of the wind turbine and setting it up, you're already, I think, in the negative of what that thing will actually produce in its lifetime. So it's really, like you said, it's more, it's virtue signaling, it's narrative, and it's not using facts and science. But I know that you're... It's not common sense. And I I guess that piece of it is that, you know, common sense would say, why are we importing these materials into our state? Why aren't we building an industry that actually manufacture some of these products and exports them to more practical areas. Why don't we do that? Because the mined materials are done in the worst labor conditions that you can imagine. It strips very fragile environments along the equatorial regions. Not a good idea. And the labor practices are generally just so abhorrent that if people knew, they would never support these technologies. Yeah. Well, especially when you're, we're getting some of these products partially made by maybe you could consider it slave labor but it foreign countries some of these materials they are not our friends and they're not ecologically friendly either so I, i think it's definitely something that we need to change the narrative back to like you said what we learned in science when we were in school and that's practical use of resources and so i wanted to switch gears totally different direction here because you were a sponsor on a bill 1270 and it was creating the boys and men's commission now I know that there's a lot of boys and men that are in the agricultural industry, but I also know that you know how to use a farm tractor. So this didn't have to do with agriculture or energy, did it? No, it didn't. And it was an issue. I sit on the Women's Commission. There's a specific set of things that we're looking at that we're uh, mandated to look at in terms of how to make sure that the well-being of women and the opportunities are there. And child care is one of them, of course. And then, of course, access to careers and better access to higher ed and some of those other issues. It's it's a economic development that, that helps women be successful. And so the question was, you know, what's going on with our boys and men? Maybe we need a commission to start addressing that. And when we start looking at that, the issues around the well-being of boys and men, right now in 2022, we've had a, a serious increase in the number of suicides in our state. It's up 37% of that. Over three quarters of those suicides are amongst our young men. And we've looked at the opioid addiction, the the unhoused and the people that are on the street deeply addicted in, in opioids, 80% of them are men. And so the question is, you know, we're spending, I sit on appropriation, I sit on capital budget, we spend a great deal of money in education funding and in mental health and in housing and all of these issues. We are spending a good portion of our, our resources to try and address these problems. But are we focusing the money correctly when you have a people group that clearly we're seeing declines in well-being and we're saying, what's going on? And shouldn't we look at it more thoughtfully and maybe we can prioritize our funding better or at least tailor programs that are more effective in stopping these trends? 
And, you know, you just look at, for example, education, you know, and how does that work for our boys and how are they doing in our school system? And I would have to say not well. There's data that shows that in Seattle public schools, that the the young men in high school are a full year behind in reading. And you think about how that affects their entry into college. You know, junior year is kind of a critical year for kids that are getting ready to apply and they get their scholarships and the grants and things that they may get for achievement. And if you've got young men that are lagging behind a whole year, you know, it just isn't going to go well for them. And we're looking at college enrollment for our young men has plummeted since COVID. And you have a gender gap already at the university level and the completion rates for women are much higher. Yeah. Well, it does seem men. It does seem like the, the education industry really has been geared more towards girls. The learning styles are a little bit different, I think, you know, broadly. Got to say that I've got five generations of, of women in my family, my grandmother, my mother, you know, that are educators. And they even told me that, you know, oftentimes troubles with boys in the classroom, they need to just go out and run around the school, you know, get some energy out to see that. So you're talking about Bill 1270, a Boys and Men's Commission, to look at why are men so depressed? Why are men not succeeding in education and higher education? And I would say that it would probably bring out why are men not succeeding as fathers? I mean, that is a big problem in our culture society. Big area of concern that we listed in the in the uh, bill to look at, and we also look at the dad deprived kids. Right now, nationally, forty percent of children are being raised in single parent homes that are head of household is the woman, and the dad deprived show data that is significant in that those boys are not doing as well. Right, in, 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 more incarceration, more yep. uh, violent behaviors. Juvenile justice. Yep, those are those areas that we're looking into on this men's commission. And so, this is a I, bill that our listeners could support. They could go on to ledge.wa.gov and they could look up Bill 1270 on the Boys and Men's Commission, and they could make comment to the legislature and, and specifically your own legislators, if you'd like, folks, and convince them that we need a, to form this commission. We have a women's commission looking at women's issues so that our women, our mothers, our, our daughters can succeed and do well. And so they're looking at those things, but there isn't a commission for the boys and the men, which we need our boys and men so that they can care for children, care for wives, mothers, girlfriends, because that, that's another issue that I saw just this last year here in Spokane of violent teens attacking their parents, grandparents. And it's a problem. And a lot of that has to do with our lack in education and also government policy and in, in how we work with the males in our culture and uh, in, in our public systems like education. So folks out there, again, that's Bill 1270. Contact your legislature, ledge.wa.gov. Help out Mary Die in forming this commission. Is there any other things you'd like to add to the show before we run out of time here i just really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and tell you a little bit about what's going on here in olympia it's never boring i'll tell you that and it's just interesting to see that one one thing i would have to say is that being back in person is building rebuilding relationship and i would say that the mood of the legislature has been much more collaborative 
and working together to try and listen to each other at least. Now that's Although, it, being in know, person can, since the COVID yeah. shutdown of Olympia and where everyone was remote and you didn't get a lot of testimony or interaction. And so things are, are at least more collaborative, you're saying now? They are more collaborative. And although, you know, I, I would say that, you know, they have all the they have all the votes to do whatever they would like. But at least they're listening to our points of view. And one thing they are listening to is the need to discuss the dramatic impacts that energy fighting will have in eastern Washington in terms of our environment and our economy. And also to look at the impacts that those facilities that get tax preferences, how that deprives our local, our, our lo- local like our schools and our, our, our other county County operations, local System. businesses and yep. industry. Yep. Yeah, it's it's yep. huge. So I want to thank you for your time. I know that you've got to go. You've got another appointment looming here in the next few moments. So I appreciate your time again. Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District doing a great job in representing her folks there. We'll definitely try to get you back on again because I know that the whole thing with the legislature is that it's a moving target. And so we want to make sure that we get back with you when that target changes again. So thanks again for your time. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All that being said, we will be back with you folks again tomorrow. Bye-bye.